Okay. Good morning. My name is Sterni Althaus and I'm a counselor and life coach and member of the ACA. In my work, I love exploring new ideas and resources and hearing about my colleagues who are doing an excellent job extending themselves beyond their work in the community. This morning, I have the great privilege of interviewing Rabbi Manny Overlander, director of Aliyah Youth Space in Melbourne. Aliyah Youth Space is a place for young people in the Jewish community to come and spend quality time in their search for healing and meaning. Many, you've been an example to me with your important work in Sydney with helping young adults and teens with trauma. And now that you're living in Melbourne, I understand that you've taken on a very important role in Aliyah. Can you tell me about your background and specifically how you came to connect with teenagers? All right. Well, first of all, I gotta say it's an honor to be here. I'm really happy and uh, blessed to be joining you today. Thank you so much for having me. I was actually listening to your podcast in the last few days and I was thinking how amazing it is that something like this is happening, like that people are actually going about and making sure there's awareness like this happening. So thank you. Um, I, I got to say mental health really is my passion um, through and through. It's been like this for like five, six years. So I, I really am so happy and to be able to, to talk about this topic, to be able to share this with you. So thank you. Fantastic. I in, yeah. So I grew up in a, in, in like a, a pretty religious home. Like uh, I had a Chabad parents. My father has a Chabad center in Northwest London in, uh, in Hendon. And um, he, they were very dedicated to their cause. They, they actually traveled around different parts of America and England and opened up community centers there. He was the first community center rabbi Chabad center in Oxford. And that's where it started. And it's actually going very strong today. And uh, so in Hendon, he had a Chabad house and we, we were very involved in that. I have about, I have, well, I say about because I've also got six step siblings, but I've got 10 siblings, well, there's 10 of us plus six. So there's quite a few of us, I'd say, well, I've got 15 siblings. So that's a, a fair few. Wow. But I grew up with nine siblings and uh, we were all very close. And uh, it was honestly, we all got along very well. It was to, to, to see other people's challenges and to see our own, it, it minimized them because of how close we were. Um, for some reason, though, I never really felt settled in London. I just, there was something about London that wasn't for me. Um, and only later on in my life did I realize that I needed somewhere that was, that was more easygoing and more large and open. And I don't know, maybe maybe the weather had a, had, a, had a play in there a little bit, you know, it'd be nice to uh, get some more sunshine. But I just, I never really felt settled. So at 13, I ended up leaving for yeshiva. And uh, I, I went to Israel and uh, then I went to America and Canada and back to Israel. And obviously all in between this, I'm going back to the UK and back and forth. And I, I found some yeshivas better than others. Some, some experiences were better than others. But in general, I never found my place that I felt settled in. I was always trying to figure it out. Um, my parents were always supportive of this in, in my journey of trying to figure out where I'm going to settle, you know, and, and they were very supportive of me going away, even though obviously it wasn't easy for them. They were very supportive of it. And then um, at, when I was, when I turned 15, when just after I turned 15, 
uh, my mom took me aside one Pesach and told me that she had been diagnosed with cancer. So obviously I didn't know how to react and I was very, very confused by this. And obviously my first reaction was, but you're going to be okay, right? Of course, right? Like you're going to be okay. Um, obviously things were not okay. And after a two year battle, we had to say goodbye to her and uh, she passed away. So in that moment, when she passed away, first of all, even leading up to it, I was on a downward spiral. The sicker she got, the more angry I got. But when she passed away, I was just, I, I was done. Honestly, I thought, it, I thought if she would die, I would definitely die. There was just no way of going about this. So, I mean, there were different stages to my grief, but the main one that I remember was anger. It was just, just sheer anger. I mean, I took it out on everyone and everything. I don't know. I just wasn't able to really see straight. Yeah. Anything. It was just, yeah. It was just, there was just no, there was no respite in sight. I just, I, I, I was just in pain all the time. So I didn't know, I really didn't know what to do. There was a lot of anger towards God, especially in for, for taking someone that was so close to me. And I just felt, I felt very victimized. I felt like, I felt like I, I was just picked on, you know, like why, 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 why do I have to go through all this? You know, what? Why couldn't it happen to someone else? I mean, obviously we don't wish on anyone else, but why does it have to be me? So anyway, I, I, I really started to, to make other people who believed in God also uncomfortable. I used to challenge them and spend hours arguing with people. I, to be honest, I was exhausting to not only them, I was exhausting to myself. You know what I mean? Like I was completely exhausting. But I, uh, thankfully, I found a, a school in Pennsylvania called Wilkes-Barre that shifted that was able to love me and support me and, and accept me and within with a certain amount of time after a certain amount of time I was able to shift my focus to look at all the amazing things I have as opposed to victimizing myself and saying oh it's just so unfair these things were taken away from me look at how blessed I am with all the things I do have there are so many of those things so when, when I was able to shift that perspective, um, it really set me on course to really um, heal and, and, and help people and, and grow. So all I've wanted to do since then is wanted to help people because, because those people in Wilkes-Barre were able to give that to me and were patient with me and loved me, even through when I was a flipping nightmare, <laughs> to be honest. They were so patient with me and they gave me that, that sense of um, freedom to be me and accept me and not need to be something else. By, by accepting me, I, I, f I feel like I want to give that to others now. So I want to devote myself to others. That's, that's the key. Wow, that is absolutely beautiful. So you took a very challenging situation and you turned it into a positive thing by being there for other people and giving back what you received. 100%. And to be running an organization that's focused on helping young people in our community like that who are struggling emotionally and stuff is absolutely a massive privilege, I've got yeah. to say. So yeah. thank and so many are struggling in the community. And um, I know that you've been running groups in the Melbourne area and you were running some things in Sydney as well. Would you say that a lot of the teenagers today are struggling with emotional regulation? Do you think that's relevant? Um, absolutely. I'd say yes. First of all, we run events for young people every week um, mm -hmm. on on. We have a Sunday morning event. We have a Tuesday evening, a Wednesday evening for girls, a Thursday evening, and sometimes mm -hmm. on Shabbos. And we have 
we go away sometimes, but we, the idea is we host speakers, we host psychiatrists, inspirational speakers, that, things like that. And we also host support groups where people can share. Um, we started something called Voices in Recovery to host survivors of addiction to come talk about their experiences and how, and how they were able to heal. But I'd say, it, like, look, what emotional regulation is, is, is a deep topic. It's, a, it's an important topic. Um, but what is emotional regulation? It's managing thoughts. That's what it is. Managing feelings. Yes. So that we can so that we can achieve goals, directed goals, and etc. So, what does that translate into in in a day to day life? I mean, it can be staying committed to a long term project, right? It can be staying aware of different goals that you need to focus on. It's mm -hmm. managing frustrations in your life mm -hmm. and not getting too angry. Seeking mm -hmm. help when it's when it, when it's basically unmanageable yeah but the thing is that all these points are all these ideas are like to get people to be aware of those things is very difficult because they're just trying to survive yes so yes. how do you make people aware of those concepts and and to work on those things when it's just a day-to-day -day survival like okay i'm just trying to breathe right now you know like i i sometimes ask people what do you plan to do next week they're like mate i can't I don't know what I'm doing next, the next hour yeah. I just need to get through right now wow. so to get people to, to a level of working on those specific areas. I've got to say it's not easy and it, and it must be further down the line. It can't be, it's, it's not going to be something that happens when I first meet them. It's going to be something that through a certain amount of time and healing, mm -hmm. they get through unadulterated support, like through unadulterated support. Like I'd say, through a lot of a lot of patience and a lot of love through a certain amount of time we can get them to a level of of really managing those thoughts and feelings so and probably a lot of trust i would imagine 100 percent, 100 percent, absolutely like trust is something that is so important but it's so lacking when when you when a lot of the people that you're working with have never really trusted anyone yeah so yeah. trust is huge and, and it's a huge way of getting people to work with their emotional regulation, but it's not, it's not something that comes by easily. Yeah. So I, actually, unfortunately, a lot of my work is really reactive. I'm trying to change that, but a lot of it is, it's not as proactive as I'd love it to be because mm -hmm. a lot of people that are coming to us are already struggling. Correct. So yeah. That's if, what I was going to ask you. If, yeah. So if they just come there and they're like, just guys who are trying to figure themselves out, then that's fine. But it's usually people that are already traumatized and already dealing with a lot of pain. So to work with that, to get that emotional regulation flowing is not, it's not a walk in the park, let's put it that way. So you're doing real vital work there because these are, you're saving souls that could be on the streets. They're coming to a safe place. They're coming to a place of trust and respect. And with your background and understanding and how you've been helped, you're trying to give that and transfer that understanding to them. I'm wondering perhaps maybe, you know, we can start this younger before it gets to that stage. I mean, that's for another discussion, but um, perhaps, you know, we can get uh, interventions before it gets to that stage. But unfortunately, it seems that a lot of, by the time the teenagers are coming to you, they've gone through a lot of trauma and yeah. distressed. And that would be really, really difficult. And I'm wondering, Manny, what are two or three points from your work that we can take away? Parents, mechanchim, uh, people that are interested in helping out, even you know, next door neighbor, you see a, a child struggling. What are three points that we can take away to help us 
guide other teenagers or even our own when we see the beginnings of struggle? Three points. That's a good, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, I'd say there's a lot of points that I'd love to discuss, but to break it down into three, I'd say number one, number one, absolutely. Which if I could tell this to every single person that I meet, I would. Patience, patience is number one. It has to be number one. It has to be there for them. The way people are struggling mentally, you know, they, they learn to trust you if there's consistency. Not, not through an inspirational quote. I actually had to learn that the hard way. I remember in Wilkesbury, after I was, after I uh, did a lot of my healing, I, I really thought that if I gave like a, a good, a good talk to someone, you know, one good inspirational conversation, you know, that would change their lives. You know, I would just tell them something really inspiring or like, but, but reality is, if you, if you watch an inspir inspirational video, that's not going to change your life. Yes, maybe it could help you and it might, and it might last a little bit, but reality is that it's not going to really impact you on a, on a, on a, on a, in the long term. Mm. So, so what is it that switches that on the line? It's that consistent patience. It's, mm -hmm. it's that patience being there for them through those ups and downs mm -hmm. and, and remembering that there's going to be a lot of downs. There's going to yeah. be a lot of them. And that's fine. That's not only fine. It's perfectly normal, mm -hmm. um, especially when someone is trying to heal from, from trauma. So if I could say number one, it would be patience. Number two, mm -hmm. I'd say maybe would be kindness. Um, in, in previous generations, it sounds simple, but in previous generations, the focus must have been severity. Um, is in, in Hasidus, we discuss, it's called Gevura yes. um, in, in Hasidic philosophy. But the reality is that there's no, there's no, there's nothing more important than being kind to each other. And mm. it's, not, it's, it's, it's not really an option anymore. It's not like there's something that would be nice to do. It's, it's an absolute necessity. People are literally catching up yeah. on generations of trauma, centuries of trauma that literally, I, I believe in intergenerational trauma is very real. Yes. Generational trauma is so real. And, and I know it sounds a bit silly, but I really do feel like we're catching up on, on, on thousands of years of trauma that we never, ever even thought about. We were just like so busy trying to survive. Yeah. Survive. We couldn't deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. People were just trying to physically survive. That's literally yeah. what they were trying to do. So how are they meant to deal with emotions? It was just like, suck it up. What are you talking about? Move on. Yeah. So I'd say just being kind with each other, just yeah. being, being uh, giving as opposed to a lot less gavura and a lot more chesed. Beautiful. That is so important. And That's I'm definitely fantastic. learning so much from, from the way you explain it. Um, tell me, uh, for those people Hold who on. don't understand. I, don't, I just, you said one, I got one more for you. Yes, you do. Number three, I got one more. Yes. Because I, 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 I think this one is a really important one as well. Sure. I that three. So I get, I'd say number three is awareness. So you got to be aware when someone is above your skills of helping them. So there, there does reach a point where, unfortunately, you are not able to achieve the goals of what this person needs. So they might need clinical help, emergency. Yes. Yes. Often we're so invested in, in helping people, we forget that sometimes it's actually out of our hands and yes. we got to give it to someone who's more well equipped. Yeah, that is so, so important. And thankfully, there are so many uh, counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists, even within the religious community that are now able to access, you know, good therapy and help 
people in the community. I mean, this is for the wider Jewish community, but in general, I believe that although we've had so many advancements in mental health and a lot of the stigmas have been removed, I still feel that people are struggling a lot. And I'm wondering why that's so. With all the advancements, with all the modern you know, therapies and being available, and I would say in the last 20 years, a lot of the lid has been lifted. A lot of it has come out of under the rug, mental health issues. Why do you think so many teens are struggling in the first instance? That's a great question. Um, I got to say that I am very young. I've got yes. to I've I've accept that. So there is going to be a limit to how much I know, especially in how, how mental health was 25 years ago, how it was yes. 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, obviously, we learn about these things when we're training, etc. But it doesn't change the fact that I am very young and, and there's going to be yes. a limit. To I'm just going to give it based on my understanding. Sure. So to be fair, while there have been many advancements, you got to say that the idea, the stigmas around it, they have not been removed. That's, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't believe they, they have been. I believe that they're being discussed more. I believe that people are more aware of them, but people still have a stigma towards them. Now, what I mean by stigma now, I mean, there's still a lot of judgment towards it, where it's like, they're happy to know that there's people struggling out there. Don't get me wrong. There's people that are struggling, but it's not me. Mm. It's not me or my family. Mm. Mm. There might be other people. Yeah. So the thing is, a lot of people that I'm actually trying to bring through the door at Aliyah are people that are not necessarily struggling. We were talking about this before, trying to be trying to be proactive, proactive. Yeah. In, in, in helping people. I, a lot of these guys are just trying to figure themselves out yeah. and really just trying to find a direction in their lives. And I really want to be there for them when they're having those questions, when they're having that confusion, instead of them having to go and, and deal with it emotional uh, stress and, and really lose it from not having any support or love or direction. Mm -hmm. I want them to be at Leah where they're surrounded by people who are trying to heal, who are trying to, to figure themselves out, who are trying to find a direction in their lives. Yeah. yeah. If, we, if we do that, then, then it's possible to be able to, to really help them figure out their lives. So sure. if, if they don't have that direction, it can lead to a lot worse things. I mean, it really does. We know that. We know that it, it does lead to, to, to worse things. And, and we don't want them to, to be getting lost like that. Sure. Okay. Many, I actually um, yeah. noticed when you're talking about people thinking it's someone else's child or someone else's, you know, brother's neighbor, whatever. Yeah. I think today people are realizing that mental health is a huge, huge issue in, in the world and in the community with technology and social isolation and anxiety with all this COVID lockdown and opening and lockdown and opening and all that. I think it's uh, fair to say that most people would know someone close enough that is struggling or someone in their local, very close community that is struggling. And you can probably pick it up, but some people don't want to say the wrong thing or ask the wrong questions, if that makes sense. Would you say that in your core belief, if you see someone struggling, what would be the best way to approach them or to approach uh, you know, your local teenager, your local youth group or synagogue, if you see someone struggling and you feel that you can add something or you can help them in some way, what are your beliefs around acknowledging it or, or how would they approach somebody or would they approach somebody like you to reach out? Right. Well, that's a third question. It's a good question. I just, I've got to say that 
look, as, as we were just saying before, while awareness of, of mental health challenges, they've become very real, don't get me wrong, but the acceptance of it as a potential part of people's own lives, it's yeah. not, it really is not, it's not there. Mm. So yeah. most, people, most people don't want to think of themselves in that, in that light. So to bring yeah. it to someone's awareness that maybe they might have a challenge, might be, they might have something that they need to work on emotionally or, or, or um, that they need to address is, is a very, very difficult thing. Sure. But the main I'm, thing- I'm not really um, focusing yeah. so much on making them aware of a mental issue, but making them aware that you're there for them if they want to talk. Does that right. make sense? No, for sure. Look, you know, it, 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 it comes down to the fact that there are some people that just need support and love and some people need a lot more professional treatment. So yes. to be able to differentiate those two things can sometimes be tricky. Yes. So sometimes. Yes. So what I suggest to people is they come to, to they come to an Alia event. Mm -hmm. um, let's say if, if, if a guy I think might be having a serious challenge, but I'll mm -hmm. say come to Alia, we'll hang out. We'll have a good chat. Maybe we'll grab a coffee. You'll hang out with the boys and uh, we'll go from there and we'll see if you, you need something more, more, more intense or more something yeah. more, more easygoing. But I'd say, I'd say a huge part of this, of this, uh, of, of all of this is time. You got to be patient yes. and figure out and figuring out what they need. And, um, and then with time, once you're able to, to differentiate what they need, then you can talk to them about it and figure out how to do it. But if you don't know what they're struggling with or anything mm -hmm. at all, if you just think, oh, they might be struggling. Mm -hmm. well, then it gets like how do you how do you go about that it gets it gets it becomes very difficult so i'd say you've got it you got to I, I feel it out each time is different sometimes mm -hmm. you have guys coming through and, and and i go out for coffee with them and i realize they just need they just need some people to hang Listening out yeah. yeah have some good times and 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 people who care about them and listen to them and and, and hear who they are and and just accept them and other times i'm like okay this person needs to needs to have some more more uh, full-on treatment it sounds like you're saying that you're making them feel like they count they matter and that's what's most important and i think you yeah. know borrowing the term from rabbi simon jacobson from the rebbe who says birth means you matter showing these teens boys or girls that they have a purpose they do serve a purpose and even though now things look bleak or difficult or they were bullied or whatever issues they're going through there's a purpose for them. There's meaning in life and they can find their meaning and what is their meaning or their calling. And I think by showing them that they matter to you, that is the biggest form of getting them to acknowledge that there's a reason why I'm here. I'm going to achieve things. Someone believes in me. You know, we all have that teacher. Spot on. That's spot on. Yeah. Got, yeah. they've, got, they've got to have that core group of and core belief that there is actually a, a purpose for them. And when I was in Wilkesbury in that school, I was telling you about. Yes. I was surrounded by people very much going through similar situations and we all felt like we mattered, not just mm. to each other, but by the, by the people who were running the organism, the, the, the yeshiva, the people who were running it made us feel like we mattered. Our questions mattered. We like everything that we spoke about, it was valid and our pain was valid and that was fine. Yes. It was perfectly yes. that we were, that we were suffering and that we, and we could get over that by being able to be accepted for it we were able to actually heal because if you're so busy trying to, if people are so busy trying to make a person fit into their own version of what they want them to be, then how are that, how is that person ever meant to heal? It's, yes. it's not them. It's not actually them. The second you accept someone for who they are, then they're able to go on and actually heal from their pain. 
Mm. So what you're saying essentially is you validated them. You made them feel that their feelings and their emotions are valid, whatever they are. And from here we can heal. But first we need to listen and understand and validate them. And then we can move on, Feel, make them feel needed and important and that they're cared about. And then we can, that's a really important point. Um, and yeah. so you've given us a few examples from your personal life, how these tools of validation and acceptance and listening and caring helped you personally. Yeah. And seems to me, I mean, you might be in the most important group running because you're getting in before a lot of these issues come to the core or even while they're simmering, so to speak. Um, I think that your role is so important and because you've been through it, you can relate to and connect to these teenagers or young adults. Do you think the word trauma is still relevant today? I mean, this, the word trauma is used so much. What's your take on that? Trauma is more than ever relevant today, I'd say. Um, trauma is an emotional reaction to a terrible event or an experience. So, I mean, we're emotional nowadays than we ever were, as we were talking about before. We are literally dealing with a lot of trauma from the past. So trauma yeah. is a consequence to an experience. It's not a choice. We, I, I, I truly believe it. So when people look at trauma, a lot of the time they blame themselves or they feel guilty, but it's not, it's, it's a consequence. So how we choose to deal with it trauma can be our choice. Don't get me wrong, mm -hmm. but sometimes we have to dig deeper. Sometimes we have to work harder, but we can definitely overcome that, that, that trauma, but it's a, mm -hmm. it's a reaction. So we can't be feeling guilty for having that trauma. Yeah. A lot of the time we don't want to be drags. We don't want to feel like, Oh, we're just baggage. We're just being, yeah. we're just being difficult. No, like it's perfectly normal. It's a reaction. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you, put your hand on a fire, you're going to burn yourself. It's just, mm. it's just how it works. It's a reaction. It's a consequence. It's not something that you, that you're like, oh, I'm just, you know what, this time I didn't burn me. Mm. No, if a certain terrible event happens to someone, then there's going to be pain there. There's going to be trauma. So we have to dig deep and we, and we have to know that we can heal though. We have to know that we have to be able to know that we can heal. There's so, honestly, there's so much positive help out there. The sure. people are willing to heal, but being yes. aware that one is traumatized, I, I think is probably the first step. Sure. So if, you, if you don't know that you even have a problem, how are you meant to fix it? So the first step is, is, is trying to, is talking about it with people. So if you have a tough time acknowledging that you have that challenge and, and then you can work on it and actually heal with it. So I'd say it's more than, re more than relevant. It's, yes. it's, it's so real. No, that's fantastic that, you know, what you're doing is an amazing, amazing model, this Aliyah model. And I understand there's an office in Melbourne or, or a group that runs in Melbourne and in New York. Are there other... Um, Manchester as well, yeah. In Manchester. Yeah, there's... Lovely. In Manchester, they're, they're all over the world and it's really growing. I mean, look, obviously we would prefer that, that it, it's, not, it's not needed at all. Of but course. reality is that it's, it is needed and we're yes. very much aware of that. So we can't turn a blind eye and say, well, hopefully people will just get better. No, you, we need to stand up and actually make, be that difference. So be that support for someone. Sure, yeah, sure. Someone who's struggling, you know, just lend, it, lend in a helping hand. I don't know, just tell them, are you okay? And, and if people want to help, you know, regular lay people want to help, you know, to promote your model or to support your model, I'm just curious, what is the best way to, to get in touch with you? 
um, you can you can you can definitely contact contact me directly. You have all the all the details on alia.org.au on our website. And I'd say I'd say our main model is just to keep that consistency of support and love throughout difficult times. I'd say without a doubt that needs to stay consistent. So the main focus of Alia is just always being there for people through the ups and the downs as we were talking about. And it's just something that in critical areas, we have to be there for people. And in and in the simple areas, we have to be there for people. You have to be there to dance at their simplest and you have to be there to, 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 to be their shoulder when they're crying and, they're, and they feel like there's nowhere to go and no one to turn sure. to. So yeah. I'd say I'd say Alia, the Alia model is 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 obviously that we don't really have a specific model. It's just based on um, like each individual that, that needs its own specific uh, care. But but obviously the different Alias around the world are, are working to support young people that are struggling mm-hmm. or that need a place to call home, and uh, they're all doing amazing work around the world. So I'm 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 so lucky to be a part of this incredible. So at the moment, it's a day center. I understand. Like people can come and drop in, or do you have specific hours? I'm just curious how your model works. So we have specific areas. We have specific um, times. But what I was saying when I when I was saying that we don't have a specific model is because it basically it varies based on the different days. So sometimes I'll come in there and I'll and I'll and I'll meet up with someone and I'll have a chat with him. Mm-hmm. We'll study something. We'll talk about life. We'll play FIFA. We'll have a we'll have some time together. Um, and sometimes we have hours. So we have different events throughout the week. There's hours yeah. that people come in, mm-hmm. and it's and I've really worked to make the 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 space a place mm-hmm. where people really feel safe and really enjoy themselves. Like we we have a beautiful massive games room now, mm-hmm. and we have like new new different activities that for the guys to do. And and there's a, and it's and it's a really big place. There's like a whole area, a music area, and we're building a gym now so that everyone can come and like express themselves in their own way and feel happy and feel um, like they're they're productive and 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 heal in their own way. So I've really I've really worked to make the place um a loving and welcoming home for everyone that comes wow. to any plans in the future to open a sydney alia if we will we'll definitely get you very much involved <laughs> because i know when you talk about fitness or music these are all beautiful outlets for teenagers to express themselves or, or technology you know making making movies or i know with my i've got thank god you know a number of teenage boys and we built a, a gym in COVID on our deck and that's been a very big outlet for them which that's is great awesome. and I'm loving that you're putting fitness into it because if your physical health is strong your mental health is as well going to be stronger do you know what I'm saying like it's so important for people to feel that uh inner strength and feeling healthy that's a great addition I I didn't know I that agree was- with you more couldn't agree with you more. No, That's because we moved to a new location just like about a, about a half a year ago. So uh-huh. we're, in a, we're in a very large warehouse now with, with a lot of different options, a lot of spaces. But I could definitely say that the only way to, re- uh, well, a big way to really heal mental health is through um, physical exercise and through getting out there and actually um, working out and going on a run or going on a walk or just, yeah. just going outside and taking in a, a breath of fresh air. That's huge too. Absolutely. indoors so we're definitely working on that and that was a big part of my own healing so i definitely appreciate the importance of uh, of activity of, of workouts etc beautiful and let me ask you many we were talking before that it's difficult for people to recognize that these are issues that are you know all around us you know and it's become yeah. obviously less stigmatized but still there are people that have judgment i'm curious 
can we get people to reverse course? Can we get people to stop their judgment? Or on the flip side, the teenagers to stop worrying about being judged, if that makes sense. Look, that's a good question. But look, certain reactions, they're, they're innate. They're, they're built into our psyche, like deeper than our psyche. Like if you see somebody walk into a room that kind of looks a bit threatening, you're going to automatically kind of judge them and be like, oh, that's a scary dude. I wouldn't want to meet him in an alley. So that's like a lot of the time you'll see someone, let's say a guy with one of those really intense haircuts that are spiked up and he's got tattoos everywhere. So like the reaction for a lot of people might be like, oh no, that's a scary dude. So that, that could be automatic. However, what we choose once we're aware that that thought is there is something that we can control. So in, in, in Hasidic philosophy, it discusses the Bainani, which is literally means the in-betweener, the, the man who's 50-50, who's but it really is somebody who Hasidus discusses about how it really is someone who's a lot, who's, who's actually a lot closer to a tzaddik than, than someone who's a 50-50. Um, the thing is, he has challenging thoughts that might come in, but the second that they come in and he is aware of those thoughts, he kicks them out automatically straight away he kicks them out of his head and it doesn't allow it. So I think what we can do when we, with, with helping people that might be worrying and dealing with anxiety and, and judging, etc., we can help them come to an awareness that these things exist within them and they're very real and they're very normal and they're very acceptable. However, maybe we can get them to, once they're aware of it, to push it out and be able mm. to think of something else. So like, mm. let's say if, if someone is addicted to, to, to alcohol, let's say, mm. and, and their main place that they hang out is a bar, you tell them, go hang out at a park instead. So basically fit it with something else. So the second, let's say that thought of, of judgment comes in, replace it with another thought. So you see that guy and uh, he looks a bit threatening, replace it with, hey, maybe he's a good guy. I mean, obviously don't be too trusting, but maybe, you know, be, be open-minded enough to accept that maybe he's a, a very normal guy. I mean, that is something that I work on so much. And, and sometimes my wife drives me crazy that she's like, why can't you just say, like, why are you so nice about people? Like you're way too nice sometimes. Cause I really do try to see the best in people, no matter how intimidating they are, no matter how negative things, things seem, I try to see the best in people. So I think we can help people um, get to that awareness and, and, and kind of replace that negative thought, that anxiety with something positive. So um, I'm going to actually make a little uh, disclosure here because it, as you were talking, it reminded me with the birth of my youngest child, thank God he's now eight. I remember it was the middle of the night and a midwife turned up and she didn't look like the typical midwife. I thought she had the spiky hair and the tattoos and dressed <laughs> very, you know, more like bikey style. And I thought, oh no, this lady is not going to be the type of woman I can use for support and labor. And let me tell you, I just do the bane on myself, you know, change your thoughts. And um, pretty much she was one of the best midwives I've ever had. I allowed myself to allow her to show me who she is and not be afraid by my own judgment of what she looked like. And that was a very big turning point for me realizing, you know, do not judge a book by its cover. We actually have a synagogue in Sydney called the Tamoxetic Center. And there were about three struggling, very much struggling young adults, men. And each one in time came to acknowledge uh, that part of their healing and the beginning of their healing and almost 
probably all the way through to the end after they went to different organizations as well, but was being that our synagogue was very accepting, no matter what they wore, no matter how they came to shul, we accepted, we loved, we invited, we said, sit with us, be with us, just be part of us. And that set all three of them on a path of healing because they expected everyone to say, get out. You don't turn up to shul like that. I mean, how can you come with your ripped jeans and your necklace and your tattoo? And no, the people in the shul were loving and accepting and brought them in. And I actually did a study and I was very pleasantly, uh, I was made aware that the fact that people accepted them the way they were led to their healing. And today they are on the right path, doing the right things. And when I say right path, mentally stable, you know, on the right track, not going down the drug and alcohol route, you know, being uh, true to themselves and finding meaning in their life because That's people didn't special. budge. That really is very special. And, you know, I got to say that if there is an Aliyah model, if there's, if there's one number one rule, you know, there's one number one is be you and yeah. you will be accepted for being you and we will yeah. wholeheartedly accept you don't try to be somebody else don't try to put on another face yeah. you come rest as you feel if you if you feel comfortable in 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 those in those ripped jeans if you feel comfortable coming in when one of those spiked haircuts whatever it is there's no feeling of you have to be something you're not yeah and, and the fact that the show up they showed up that's my thing they showed up they showed up to your shabbos table they showed up to the shul irrespective of what they look like yes obviously everybody wants to feel comfortable around everyone else but the fact that they showed up means that they cared enough to be there if we accept them and love them they'll show up in a, in a wholesome way in whatever way that is um and the other thing i, I think that you're saying is no judgment you know and people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. You know, think about struggles that we went through as teenagers or watched other people go through. The only way we're gonna fix this world is by loving and being caring for everyone. And I think that's how we're gonna fix the trauma. And I think you're so right. Your model is so, so important. I hope it spreads. I hope Aliyah can open up many branches. And, and many, I think you're fantastic. Your ideas and your understanding of what's going on in people's heads is excellent. And although you keep saying I'm, you might be young, I know, I, I know, I am young. I just, but I, I just feel like there's one thing I have to add before before we close up shop here. There's sure. something that I want to add because we were just talking about acceptance and love and being accepting people for who they are. Sure. But I do, I do, I do have to say that when I was working in Sydney, especially, I worked with a lot of adults that have children that have real, real challenging mental health issues and they really really don't know why and they're wondering why they've given their kid everything they are so wealthy and they're so successful and they've given their their kid is living in a palace they've given them everything why on earth are they struggling mentally and i think a big part of why they might be struggling is because there are absolutely no boundaries mm. there's no, there's no such thing as a no so the yes. second when they're older and they want to do whatever they want and they want to do whatever is given to them and then their parents are like hey no you can't do that they've never even heard no they don't even know mm. what boundaries are a huge important 
yes life and the reason i'm adding that to now is because we are saying that we have to accept people for who they are but when they are younger when they're kids they do need to hear the word no in order for them to be healthy it is an incredibly important part so being giving chesed is very important being kind is great but you need that balance you need to ferris you need there to be a balance between when when to know to say no which is gavura and when to say yes and, and enjoy yourself and have that chesed so if we don't have that balance then we never we're never able to really keep a healthy mindset but now once there might be the, the trauma afterwards once there's a consequence and once they're older once they're adults then once you come everything goes you accept them for who they are and you be you ex- accept them a thousand percent for who they are and then they can heal and become who they're meant to be wow many that is so powerful like you pretty much summed it all up and children do crave rules and boundaries it's a hundred percent correct as a teacher I, I i see that and as a mom and the way you explained it so well, you know, obviously we give them what we can and we build them up, but we ultimately are not responsible for how, how they end up on the other end. We can only support them and love them and give them the best tools. And hopefully they'll come to their own conclusion and understanding, you know, we do what we do what we can. Yes. Many, it was so, so nice to talk to you. I hope we can catch up again and do a part two. Absolutely. You really are doing vital work you know, on the ground, you're Al-Hasar, as they say, you're on the ground, you're in the spot. And um, Hashem should bless you and your wife, Clara, and your daughter, Sarah, with everything that you need. Begashmus Baruchnius and um, just Chazak Viamatz, keep doing it. You're doing a great job. Thank you, and sir. I really thank you. Thank you for taking the time this morning. And if anybody wants to get in contact with you, can you just repeat your website one more time? The, the website is alia.org.au and the email address is director at alia.org.au. So if Thank anybody you. wants to reach out and anybody needs any support, please feel free to do so at any time. Thank you, Manny. So appreciate it. Have a very good day. Good and we look pleasure. forward to catching up again soon. Thank you, Sterny. All Thank the best. Thank you. Thank Take you. Care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.